Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Good afternoon. It is Friday, December 3rd, and this is Noon Edition with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. I'm Stan Jastrzewski. This week, we'll talk about how Bloomington's Jewish community is responding to a spate of recent vandalism. With us in studio are Jeffrey Weidlinger, the director of IU's Jewish Studies program, Rabbi Steve Balaban of Temple Shir Tikva, and Kiel Majewski, executive director of Terre Haute's Candles Holocaust Museum. Thanks to all of you for being here, and thanks to all of you who are listening and joining us on our live chat on our website, WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. If you've got a question for one of our panelists this afternoon, please do call us at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 877-285-9348. Well, I wanted to start out with sort of a, a general question, and that is, what do each of you think the recent vandalism of buildings and, and sacred texts say about the, the state of, of Judaism in Bloomington and how it is perceived? Well, I'm not sure exactly what it says about the state of uh, Judaism in Bloomington. Uh, Judaism is very strong in Bloomington. The Jewish community is very strong. Uh, at Indiana University, we have a wonderful Jewish studies program. Uh, that is as strong as ever. And the community also is a very diverse community with a lot of different centers. Uh, We have congregations and synagogues and cultural centers and student centers. Uh, So I don't think this uh, says anything about the Jewish community, actually. It really says something just about the perpetrator, whoever that perpetrator may be. What about its perception in the community? Uh, I think the Jewish community has a very good reputation in the community and has excellent relations with uh, other members of the community. Uh, we've been getting uh, letters of support from all different types of organizations uh, within the community, from different churches, from uh, different mosques, from Muslim groups. Um, I've been getting uh, letters of support from different departments at the university. Uh, just this morning, the uh, chair of the Near Eastern Languages and Cultures uh, Department gave me a, a note that they had passed a resolution uh, condemning the events, and the Polish Studies uh, Center has also been condemning the events. So we've been getting uh, nothing but support from all different segments of the university. Uh, the university leadership as well has been adamant and very forceful in its response. Uh, Karen Hansen, the uh, provost and executive vice president of the university, issued within hours of the events, issued a uh, very forceful letter to students and to faculty and staff condemning these events as anti-Semitism and making it very clear that uh, this isn't tolerated in the university uh, environment. Rabbi Balaban, your thoughts? Uh, I would echo what uh, what Professor Weidlinger said. Uh, I, I think that the general perception of the Jewish community in, in Bloomington is that uh, it's, it's very well accepted. Uh, there's a very large number of Jews uh, in Bloomington. Uh, actually, it's, it's probably... On a percentage basis, <clears throat> one of the highest percentages population-wise uh, of any, certainly of any community in, in Indiana, and one of the, the highest numbers of Jews per capita in, in the country. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that uh, the in general, Jews feel very comfortable living in Bloomington, feel very welcome, uh, feel very accepted, and uh, certainly feel that this is their home and... and uh, that it's going to remain that way. Good. This is also upsetting on so many levels and disturbing and cause, you know, just brings so many questions to mind. Um, I'm sure that law enforcement has been um, working very closely um, with members of the Jewish community. Um, is there any kind of um, inkling as to whether or not this is a um, related to a, the university at all or just um, the, the Jewish population um, is a bigger target. It seems to me that the Jewish population as a whole is the bigger target, given that only a few of the incidents have been directed uh, explicitly against the university. Uh, we had the desecration of the books at the library and then a uh, rock thrown into the display case at Good Body Hall, which is where 
uh, the Jewish Studies Program is housed. I'll note as well that uh, Good Body Hall is also where a whole bunch of other uh, area studies programs are housed. It's where the Near Eastern Languages and Cultures is housed, uh, Central Eurasian Languages, East Asian Studies, Mongolian Studies. All of these units are together in the same building. <laughs> and uh, in a way, that attack was uh, you know, against everybody in that building. Sure. I think it says something about the climate at, uh, at the university, that we're all in the same building. Our offices are right next to each other. Uh, we're a very united community of area studies. <laughs> And, and again, I, you know, I, I also, um, I'll add that, you know, the, the first incident, it would appear chronologically, was directed at the, the uh, Presbyterian Church in which uh, Congregation Shir Tikva meets, um, you know, which is, uh, ironically, um, it, it reflects the level of welcome and, and warmth that the larger community feels for the Jewish community that uh, uh, UPC has, has invited us to uh, to worship there and to use their building, um, and ironically enough, again, it, uh, I think that uh, both Pastor Bremer and, and the congregation feel that their sense of community was violated. It wasn't just an attack directed at the Jewish community; it was an attack, or these incidents have been directed at the sense of community in general that exists in Bloomington. Yeah, I share that that same feeling very strongly. Um, what is your and I don't know who's best prepared to, to speak to this, but um, tell us about law enforcement's reaction to this and, and how you would rate that. Well, I've been in touch with uh, both Bloomington Police Department and Indiana University Police and uh, inspectors of the police, and I think they've been very responsive. They recognize that this is, uh, uh, has the potential to be a bigger threat than just vandalism. Uh, you know, vandalism is bad enough as it is, but this is a... Uh, this is really an act of intimidation, of hate, and a threatening act against not only the Jewish community, but against the entire uh, city of Bloomington and the entire Indiana University community. And the police have been very receptive to that and understand that. Right, really against every peace-loving person who lives here. Yeah. Did you want to follow yeah. up on that? No, again, I have not spoken directly with the police because uh, Pastor Bremer did because the, the attack was directed at his uh, building. Um, but his comments were that the police were extremely supportive, uh, extremely concerned, and responsive uh, to the situation. Uh, and, I, you know, I think that over um, over the, the close to 30 years that I've been familiar with Bloomington, uh, you know, I, I first began here at, at Beth Shalom uh, right around the time of the fire, and I think that, that, you know, their response at that time and ongoing, it's not just in this one particular situation, but I think that the, the Bloomington Police Department has always been extremely um, diligent in making sure that uh, everyone in this community feels safe, feels protected, and that they, they meet their mission, which is to serve and to protect the public, and, and they have always done that, regardless of uh, faith or, or any, other, uh, any other issues. I spoke with, uh, with Rabbi Chinchilker at IU's Chabad House earlier this week, and of course they've had rocks thrown through two of their windows, and he says that his plan is to use those very rocks in a public menorah lighting ceremony this Sunday, and when I spoke to him, he didn't seem mad. He seemed more sad and, and disappointed and seemed to want to come up with some public, nonviolent, pulling-together type ceremony. I, I'd like a response from each of you on the, the merits of, of that type of response to solving such a problem in, in the community. Well, I, I think to begin with, um, it's important to say in, in the position that I've shared with uh, with my congregation, uh, I don't see this really as the act of an organized hate group per se, but much more the action of one or maybe a few people who um, have some sort of emotional or psychological uh, disturbance or issue. Um, and as a result, I, I think that... Um, you know, again, it's it's concern for the individuals who have done this as much as it is for the Jewish community. It's concern that we live in an era when there is so much uh, angry speech and so much hate speech that mosques are attacked, uh, you know, synagogues are at uh, attacked, churches are attacked, individuals are attacked. Uh, I think it's it's much more a symptom of a, of a larger problem than it is specifically connected with with anti-Semitism or, or Bloomington. So I, I, I'm saddened as a rabbi to see that we live in a in a country that is so wonderful and is so um, such a remarkable place, but we happen to live at a moment in time where the economy and the stresses and the political system and other things drive 
people to extreme actions um, that harm them as much as they harm the communities in which they live. One of the things that I've proposed to the UPC is uh, that we take that rock and we create a peace garden uh, that is a gift to the community um, and that we locate that either at the the United Presbyterian Church's grounds on 2nd Street or somewhere else in the city, um, but that we create a peace garden and we say that that um, you know, we we uh, we hope for the well-being and the welfare of the people who did this, or who contemplate doing things like this, uh, as much as we do for the people who are the recipients of this kind of anger. Keel, your thoughts on a public, nonviolent reaction to all this? I think these are fabulous ideas because once the rock has been thrown through the window, so to speak, you can't take it back, you can't undo it, and in a way, it becomes less about the person who perpetrated this and more about the community and the community's response to it. And I think that Bloomington is absolutely to be congratulated for the way it has responded. And I think the best you can possibly do is to take the physical piece that broke through the window and turn that into a positive thing. So I think that's absolutely an outstanding move. Professor Weidlinger? Uh, yeah, I'll just add that I also commend Rabbi Chinchulka for the way he's been handling this. Uh, Chabad in Bloomington has been a uh, a victim of attacks before, and Chabad internationally has been a victim of terrorist attacks. They were targeted in the Mumbai terror attacks a couple of years ago, and uh, I really very much commend Rabbi Chinchulker's response. I'll note as well that this comes at the time of the festival of Hanukkah, and Hanukkah commemorates uh, the destruction, the, uh, the destruction of the, well, not the destruction of the temple, the desacralization, the defamation of the, of the uh, temple in ancient times, and the response of the Maccabees was to rededicate the temple. And I think Rabbi Chinchulker is building upon that tradition to rededicate uh, with this menorah and uh, to have his public gathering on Sunday. So I fully support it, and I will be there on Sunday. Absolutely. We've had <clears> – <throat> pardon me. We've had an email come in, and I'm so pleased to see it's from uh, an old friend of the show, uh, Gordon. And thanks, Gordon, for, for writing, and it's great to have you to hear from you again. And he asks, uh, how do you think these frightened cowards convert the hatred to action? Do you think there are triggers that can unwittingly begin what now looks like a cycle of hate crimes? How can people watch for these perpetrators? And he then thanks us for dealing with an important topic today. Uh, again, I, I think that um, emotionally, many times uh, people have angry thoughts, they have uh, angry feelings, um, but I think that, that we live in an era where uh, people are pushed from angry thoughts and angry words to angry deeds. And I, I think that the larger, the larger way to handle this is to increase the amount of compassion that exists in our communities, to avoid angry speech, uh, to condemn, uh, for instance, uh, uh, Governor Palin's comments about the, uh, the uh, Islamic Center in New York, and, and to publicly condemn those, and to say, this is America. There is an ideal here where we don't just tolerate one another. Tolerance means that you sit silently and put up with somebody else. We embrace other people, we welcome other people, we bring other people into the political process, we engage in uh, civil speech. And I think that the way that that people move from these kinds of angry intentions and thoughts is that they, they drink in the air and the water in which these kinds of comments are made in general about other faith traditions, other ethnic traditions. Um, you know, I, and I think that it's... It's too simplistic to refer to the people who do these things as cowards. I think that they are people who uh, are ignorant, certainly, um, and I think that they've been pushed or prodded into action because they feel that it's acceptable on some level to do it because of the way in which the larger community functions. And I I mean the country. I don't mean Bloomington. Sure. I think this is where we really begin to see the truth of – Uh, statements such as we're all in this together because um, the stream of public consciousness is something that we all feed into. Uh, And I think that uh, whether you're Jewish or not or whether you're Muslim or not, when these attacks occur, I think uh, if you you take a look at um, the most evil of all evils, genocide, the wiping out of a a whole people, uh, 
um, you can if you if you watch that and rewind, you can trace it all the way back to a single thought, and that thought is my world is better off without you in it, you and your kind. And many people have those kinds of thoughts all the time. It's just that some people have the capacity to act upon them and some don't. And you have to wonder how might history have been changed if we all took more of a responsibility toward the person next to us when we hear someone on the bus speaking angry things or, uh, you know, anyone we're around in a public space and we sit there and do nothing. And I think sometimes our opportunity to act is well in advance of when the violent crime is about to occur, it's in transforming the thinking in the early stages. Mm-hmm. Excellent point, I think. Yeah, Professor Redlinger, any thoughts on, on, on Gordon's email about uh, what, what causes people, what, what triggers people to do things like this? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a psychological thing within that individual, and I don't know, don't want to speculate on what causes it. I think what's important is that if this does happen, that there is a response, that there's a very loud and public response, that this is intolerable. And uh, we've gotten that response. We got it from the university administration. We got it from the city. Uh, we're getting it from you right now by doing the show. Uh, we've heard uh, from the rabbi and from Kyle as well uh, that this is intolerable. And I think these people just need to be isolated and need to be made to understand that this is not acceptable in our community. There are a couple of ways you can join our program today. You can call us at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. You can leave a comment on our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. You can also join our live chat there. And I, I see we have another email. We do. Uh, it says, why, don't, why doesn't IU offer a suitable reward, say $1,000, for information leading to the arrest of the individual or individuals who committed the anti-Semitic vandalism? Such an approach has worked elsewhere, uh, Portland, Maine, for example. Uh, the anonymous coward who desecrates sacred books in the IU library and damages property on the campus may be bragging about his acts to buddies over a few drinks. Give one of his buddies an incentive to turn him in. Um, I agree that the uh, perpetrator is probably bragging about it, and I certainly hope that somebody in the community will report what they know, and people probably do know something. Uh, I would definitely hope that they would do so without needing to be motivated by a financial reward, though. Okay. Did you want any other comments on that? Uh, again, I, you know, uh, I don't know that a financial incentive is, is necessary. Um, and if, if somebody is bragging about it, uh, you know, again, it's part of what is the fabric of a community. When when people hear these kinds of words that can become deeds, um, we need to uh, teach people to stand up and say, you know what, we don't talk that way. Uh, these are our neighbors. These are our friends. Mm-hmm. These are our teachers. These are our firefighters. These are our, our, uh, the people who deliver our mail. These are our doctors. These are professionals in our community. Um, and, and to... I would hope that um, more important than than catching the person who did it uh, and and branding that person publicly is, I think, understanding, for instance, uh, these kinds of incidents always increase when there are times of of deep financial Mm -hmm. stress or political instability in a country. Uh, I mean, you know, anti-Semitism or anti-Jewish sentiment is not a new thing. Uh, It's at least 2,500 years old. Um, And over a 2,500-year history, you can see that these things accelerate when there are times of of financial stress um, and when there are times of uh, political stress. And we're living in a a time period like that. It's, you know, the, the... other major yeah. right the other major incident of anti-Jewish sentiment that occurred in Bloomington uh, the most significant was the burning of the, the congregation in 1983 and of course that occurred at the peak of a, of a very severe recession mm-hmm. um, it, it's not by accident so again I, I think that catching the people who do it is important but much more importantly is catching and addressing the problems mm-hmm. that generate these kinds of incidents because you know uh, mosques have been attacked in this country. Uh, you know, there have been increases in anti-Semitic attacks around the world as as uh, people have experienced social stress. 
And yet, I think if we've learned nothing from the Benjamin Smith experience, it is important to catch mm-hmm. the perpetrators because I think, you know, much as uh, people who become serial killers start out torturing animals, you know, I think somebody who then grows into more violence probably starts out by throwing a rock through a window of some, uh, you know, of a, a building that represents a group against which he has some grudge. So, um, that's just my two cents. And I'll add, in bringing up the Benjamin Smith incident, I mean, that's kind of the thing that we've all been, on one hand, thinking about, but on the other hand, trying to avoid thinking about, is that that began uh, with an individual intimidating the community and spreading hate literature in the community, and then after a while turned into, uh, into the murder of uh, Wan Jun Yoon. And, among uh, others. And among others in Chicago as well. So we're all aware of that, and I think the police are aware of that as well, and aware of the, the seriousness of this, uh, of this crime. Let me ask a question, which I'm, I'm going to, I'm sure I'm going to mix my metaphors here. But it, I thought about, I thought about this in, in sort of a, a another religious context this morning, and I wondered if, if the three of you see this as, as almost a, a David and Goliath situation that you can use to your advantage, because the Jewish community is 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 the Goliath here. It's it's the larger organization. It's much bigger. It's much stronger. It's much it's much more powerful. Could the community, in some ways, say? You know, go ahead, do whatever you want. We're going to replace the windows. We're not going to be. We're not going to have our our worship interfered with. Our faith is strong as ever. You know, it, it, it strikes me as another another metaphor might be the the playground bully. You know, you can say, go ahead, do whatever you want, and eventually, if if you don't give them the satisfaction in in a perverse way that they're looking for, they might go away. The satisfaction and attention. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, part of the part of the liturgy on Purim is uh, um, you know, uh, plot your plots, say what you want, um, because we know God is with us. Um, and and again, I think that you know the the intention of somebody who does something like this is to uh, to cause fear in others. And I think that the most important thing to do is to say we're not afraid because you know we're strongly rooted in our faith we're strongly rooted in our history we're strongly rooted in our traditions we're not the first community uh, to be affected by anti-semitism and we don't need to reinvent the wheel i think that it's been shown in various studies that uh, speaking out loudly is the best response and that you can't just close your eyes and see it go away because uh, it won't go away so speaking out remains the best uh, the best response. So, Kiel, you've, you've had some experience with this. Would you, this seems like an obvious opportunity for you to discuss your experience with this. Yeah, absolutely. In 2003, when Candle's Holocaust Museum was firebombed, uh, Eva Kaur, the founder of the museum, said obviously the arsonist wasn't Jewish because it happened on November 18th. And uh, 18 is uh, a fortunate number in uh, uh, numerology, Hebrew numerology. And so, because of that act of hate, which destroyed the museum physically, uh, it actually um, enlivened and expanded it uh, emotionally and, um, you know, in its message and its outreach, because uh, this was a uh, a museum which was doing its work in a portion of a building. And uh, through mostly through the efforts of uh, a few good people in Terre Haute. And so when that place was destroyed, uh, Candle's Holocaust Museum was on the cover of the New York Times. We could not have paid a million dollars for that sort of coverage. And so now people all over the world know about us and know about our mission. Uh, so I think that um, it's, it's quite important uh, in terms of how you respond because Eva Kaur uh, in the community in Terre Haute cur- certainly could have said, well, we fold then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we put so much blood, sweat, <laughs> then they and don't tears. know Eva Kaur. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, obviously. Uh, and, and they could have said, we put so much blood, sweat and tears into this and it's all destroyed. And now we have nothing. Uh, but instead they said, this is clearly a call for us to do what we do. And I think it was the same day or the very next day that Eva Kaur vowed we're going to rebuild. Well, we've reached the bottom of the hour here. We should take a break, and we'll come back in just about 90 seconds. If you'd like to join us, call us at 812-855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or do join us on our live chat by going to wfiu.org slash noon edition.
This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcast directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. Programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, The Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, as well as play and opera reviews are all available on demand. Find out more at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Fridays, the WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 11.33 a.m., 11.55 a.m., and 5.45 p.m. to catch that day's feature. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. We are back here on Noon Edition with Jeffrey Weidlinger, Rabbi Steve Balaban, and Akil Majeski. We're talking about the recent uh, vandalism against the Jewish community in Bloomington. And uh, Akil, something you said just before the break uh, made me think that it occurs to me that some of the acts like this could end up, and it ended up in in Terre Haute's case, counterproductive to the original aims of of the vandal. You know, you did not stop a museum from existing. You caused it to expand, caused its donations to increase, caused its reach to expand into the country and the world. And and it seems to me that 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 could happen here in in Bloomington too. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like this is the kind of action that is actually going to accomplish whatever the person who started it wants it to accomplish. Right. Again, I think it's important to uh, take the necessary security measures and do all that you can to apprehend the perpetrator. But once it happens, this becomes more about the community and its response. And I think this is a great opportunity for uh, the people, uh, the non-Jewish people of Bloomington to reach out and say, hey, uh, to the Jewish community, hey, we're glad you're here. And uh, this is a great opportunity for the Jewish community to reach out to the Muslim community and say, hey, we're glad you're here. Uh, So I think that um, it's very important. And depending on how the community responds, uh, it can absolutely be turned into a much more uh, meaningful, positive situation. And I I think that Bloomington uh, and the various constituents uh, and communities within Bloomington are responding very well. So interesting. Um, let's talk a little bit about Bloomington United. Um, when the, we, we made reference to uh, Benjamin Smith and, and all that it, uh, occurred with that situation and the spreading of hate literature, and Bloomington United formed uh, in a, as a direct response um, to, to that. Uh, so I think that they are uh, re-energized, uh, sadly, um, as a result of this. I think their hopes were that they would never re-energize. Uh, but that's not the case. Um, do you guys? What's your interaction been? I imagine there has been quite a bit. Yeah, I've been uh, speaking with some people from Bloomington United, and they uh, met uh, yesterday. I think at two o'clock or so. I had class then; wasn't able to go. But in any case, they uh, uh, they've been calling upon people to express solidarity by downloading a menorah from the internet. And I don't know if you have that uh, URL I somewhere. I think but... it's uh, right now. You just go to bloomingtonunited.org. Okay. All right. They've been asking people to download that menorah and put it in their windows as a show of solidarity. And I believe they've also called upon people to wear blue on Monday also as a oh, show okay. of solidarity. Great. Blue on Monday. All right. Uh, Bloomington, of course, is known as a, a, a very tolerant place. Um, and and I, I was thinking about all of the different incidents that have happened uh, at, you know, at Jewish centers and Muslim centers and things like that in the community. And and I hate to ask this question, but I feel like I have to. Do we need to, in some ways, look at the way we look at Bloomington in terms of its tolerance? Are we really the tolerant community we think we are based on this history of incidents against religious organizations? There's a fringe element in Bloomington, and I think that's where the danger lies. The core of the community is a very open, very tolerant community, and we all know that and understand that. Um, but there is definitely a fringe segment of the, I don't know if I want to call them part of the community, but there's a fringe segment within the area uh, that has caused problems in the past and probably will continue to do so. And our job is to combat that fringe. Do you think this is being um, adequately addressed uh, within our school system as far as, you know, open discussions about uh, living together with people of, of different backgrounds and, and um, religious traditions? Um, I have children in the school system, and they get a lot of uh, experience with diversity, and they hear a lot about diversity, and they did. My daughter, who was in uh, uh, first grade last year, did experiments or did a whole project on diversity, just diversity in general. They took pictures of different kinds of trees. They took pictures of different kinds of cars, and they did all of these 
uh, you know, little things to show that our world is diverse and that that's a positive thing to have a diverse world. So I think the schools are doing a good job uh, educating, and I'm, I'm not sure that this fringe element is coming out of the schools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kia, what is, what is the Candles Holocaust Museum? What are they, do you have any outreach programs that uh, you run from the museum? Yeah, we absolutely do. I, at the beginning of every school year, we let schools know that we're here for field trips and for enrichment opportunities. Uh, we just launched a traveling exhibit uh, that we're sending around the country, and wherever it goes, we have a curriculum that goes with it for the local school systems. Uh, and because of budget cuts, uh, schools are not able to afford field trips as much, so we provide uh, the exhibit panels as a PowerPoint format so you can see it in the classroom there and you don't have to physically go see the exhibit. Uh, but I think that uh, to just if I could st- take a step back to the last question, I think that um, with the budget cuts, uh, we're seeing schools and standardized testing, we're seeing schools drill more on the basics and those um, enrichment opportunities are disappearing. So uh, I think that uh, that puts the onus on organizations like ours to do more outreach, but also uh, to parents in Bloomington to have these sorts of talks with their kids at home. Uh, because I, I know I have, a, I have a kid in Indianapolis Public Schools, and the opportunity is there uh, no matter how fabulous uh, diversity programs are. The opportunity is always there to stick with your little group and to stick with your little clique. Uh, and unless you have uh, teachers and parents and community members who are really dedicated at breaking down those walls, it's going to perpetuate into bigger things. Mm. Excellent point. And I, again, uh, you know, taking a step back to the, to the other question, um, I for about 20 years I, I ran Jewish day schools. Um, and in fact, one of the things that we were able to do was actually to uh, do more in terms of teaching diversity and understanding um, uh, I think oftentimes than than even a public school was able to do. So uh, following 9-11, we traveled with uh, a Muslim school and a, a Catholic school to Washington, D.C., um, and uh, we had programs on an ongoing basis. I think that, that one of the keys really to breaking down uh, the barriers uh, is not just teaching, because there's wonderful programs in, in almost every school uh, public or private about teaching diversity. I think that the key is to break down the walls that exist between individuals and groups. Um, you know, we one of the things that we did uh, years ago was bring children from uh, Ethiopian families to live in homes in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, that allowed the students to see their peers as friends and as human beings. Uh, not just as a subject to be studied uh, in a school diversity curriculum. Uh, I think that that that's what's critical, uh, you know, to uh, to have friends over to the house of, of different religious backgrounds, different uh, racial backgrounds, different uh, ethnic or or uh, national heritages, and to to be friends. And you can't you can't have a curriculum that says be a friend. <laughs> Um, you can't mandate that. But I think that that's, you know, uh, in order to raise children to see others as humans and as not human just beings. A yeah, not an idea yeah. or a category. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. I would just add to what Steve's saying that I agree that these personal relationships uh, between groups are very important. The public school does an excellent job of facilitating relationships between people of different backgrounds. And that's the most uh, crucial thing that we can have for mutual understanding. Uh, part of anti-Semitism, as in all racism, is branding an entire group on the basis of uh, experience or on the basis of what one heard, has heard about a single person. And the more we get to know each other and the more we interact with each other, uh, those stereotypes die away. I would say, too, uh, about Candles Holocaust Museum, we do see about uh, 6,500 people come through the museum per year, and two-thirds of those are kids on field trips. Okay. And uh, for kids in this area... Uh, and in rural counties, that's an invaluable experience because so many have never met a Jewish person. I went to college with uh, kids from the rural counties around here who had never met an African-American person, uh, African-American person in real life, you know, seen one on TV or so forth. Uh, and to have the opportunity to spend two hours 
with a Holocaust survivor who is Jewish and to hear his or her story and to see that person as human, you begin to question then what was all that hate about and how could someone do that? Mm -hmm. So I think it's essential to uh, for all of us to um, promote uh, such opportunities for kids. And we've uh, last year we launched a field trip stimulus fund uh, because uh, schools, so many couldn't afford to get mm-hmm. to the museum. And we're doing that again this year. And I would like to use that oppor- this opportunity to let teachers know uh, that they can call on us and apply for funds, bus funds, substitute teacher funds, uh, and admission funds to bring their kids to the museum. What if you're just a parent and you'd like to bring your child uh, or family uh, to the museum? What are your hours? And, and go ahead, if you don't mind, just give us your location, kind of the basics. Sure thing. Yeah, we're open Tuesday through Saturday, 1 to 4 p.m., uh, and we are 1532 South 3rd Street in Terre Haute. Uh, very easy to find. If you take I-70, you just go a mile and a half north. If you take 40, a mile and a half south. Uh, if you take 46, you know, you can just go up to, to 40 and uh, get to us. Uh, and we do, uh, we're a safe environment for uh, kids of all ages. Uh, and I would say that um, it's it's safe to bring younger kids to our place as well because we don't really focus, uh, nor do we display images that are very graphic because we want this message to be available to uh, young people mm-hmm. as young as we can reach them without scaring them. Mm-hmm. I want to get to our first phone caller of the afternoon. Jerry is on the line. Jerry, thanks for calling in to Noon Edition. Well, thank you for letting me. I'm remembering a few years ago when the uh, correction facilities had an awful problem with the neo-Nazi Aryanism, and it caused a a lot of problems in the prisons. Is there any of... uh, that element in this vandalism? That's an interesting question, Jerry. What do you What do you all think? I don't know. I learned all my du- Jewish lore from Faye Kellerman. She writes such excellent novels. And I don't know of any Jewish community in Greencastle, which is my closest town. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I don't want to speculate again about uh, whether this is a neo-Nazi or not. It's hard to tell. Uh, you know, anti-Semitism can take a variety of forms and can be perpetrated by a variety of, uh, of individuals. There's no overt signs that this is uh, the work of a neo-Nazi. You know, if you look at uh, anti-Semitic incidents around the country, around the globe, many of them involve uh, things like swastikas and messages of that sort. We haven't right. seen that in this case. Uh, it's been more of a... Uh, it's been you know, more of an attack on Jewish communal institutions, on Jewish books. That well, doesn't seem to me to sound like a neo-Nazi. It's possibly rooted in the Al-Qaeda bunch that has our airports so frightened that they're just going ape and spending all that money. And, and Al-Qaeda isn't doing anything. They're going to wait until we relax, and then they'll do something. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I also would be reluctant to tie this to al-Qaeda or to tie it to any type of uh, global uh, international terrorist organization. Uh, if so, al-Qaeda isn't doing very well if this is, if this is their work. But uh, well, They could do worse, and, and we could help them do worse if we reacted better. Well, thanks, Jerry, for your call. We certainly appreciate it. We're going to have to move on to to other topics. I need to correct something that I said earlier. I want to thank um, the folks who called in and corrected me. Um, The Bloomington United website is um, through the Hillel, and so that is IU... I'm just going to spell it out the letters um, so you can – and that, this is if you want to post uh, download the poster uh, for your window, which I'm going to do as soon as I get home. Um, I-U Hillel, that's I-U-H-I-L-L-E-L dot org. I'll do it one more time. I-U-H-I-L-L-E-L dot O-R-G. And that's where the website that you can go to to download the menorah and uh, place it in your front window as a sign of – an outward sign of support. You know, on the topic of Bloomington United again, if I may, I I, uh, I actually moved to Bloomington the same week that that uh, murder occurred, and I remember it was the a few days before I moved here, and it was international news. I was actually in Europe at the time and saw it on the headlines of uh, some London newspaper that this had occurred in Bloomington, Indiana, and was thinking to myself, I can't believe I'm moving there in two or three days. Um, but when I got here, I noticed really, I mean, every uh, house in the city it seemed had one of those Bloomington United signs on it, and it was a really strong statement to make, and. Uh, 
I appreciated the statement as a new resident of town. Mm-hmm, I bet. And uh, I think it's an important statement to make, so I hope people will be downloading that uh, menorah. Necessary again, do you think, to to symbolize that this is not just something that the Jewish community in Bloomington is thinking about, but in fact it's something that the entire community is thinking about? Yeah, I think that's also very important because, you know, this time the attack was directed against the Jewish community, but it could just as easily be directed against uh, against our Muslim friends or Christian friends or any other group. We don't know. When something like this happens, I <clears throat> personally, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, I feel such a... Um, personal sense of frustration that this is taking place, and so I want to know, um, you know, what can I do to, to to help this? So, what would you what would you tell people? Uh, obviously, the menorah is certainly a nice outward show of support, but um, what else do you recommend? What would you know? What would you like to see people do? Again, I, I'm going to uh, harp on the same point. I think that uh, what's critical is. When people hear ugly speech, respond to it, not rudely, but to say, you know, I'm really not comfortable when I hear you speak about people in our community this way, mm-hmm. or I'm not comfortable when I hear you speak about fellow human beings this way. Um, because I think that, you know, when, when we hear our elected representatives screaming at one another in, in Congress, or when we see political advertisements that question whether somebody is a real American or is patriotic or uh, attacking other people, it, it erases the effect of any program that the school offers or any, you know, any institutionalized uh, response to hate speech. We, we live in a culture where hate speech has become uh, common currency. Mm-hmm. And until that kind of hate speech stops, people who are inclined, you know, who may have low barriers to action, uh, will think hate thoughts and then do hate things. And we need to say it's not okay to do hate things. It's not okay to say hate things. Mm-hmm. I think if you are not sure what to do, if you are a concerned citizen in Bloomington and you don't know what to do, you can at the very least tell someone else how you feel because you may not know what to do, um, but if you express your concern, if you just if you say to someone, did you see what happened? I think that's really horrible. If you tell someone else, that person may have a brilliant idea. Uh, so I think that people are much more likely to act and to come up with uh, a brilliant response if we tell somebody else. Um, but I also think that it's a good opportunity to check ourselves because I think we all somewhere deep down have the roots of prejudice uh, or the seeds of prejudice in us, perhaps. Uh, and so I know I do. And so it's a good opportunity. Uh, one thing that I've uh, learned from a friend of mine uh, that I would like to start implementing more is um, when I'm lost or I need directions or I'm in some public place to ask someone for directions who doesn't look like me. Uh, so uh, that forces me to have a conversation with someone that I might not have otherwise had, and it begins to break down those stereotypes and those barriers. Good advice. This is kind of a nice segue. I'm not cutting you off, am I? No? Okay. Uh, into, this is a message that came through, and it says, uh, while I'm not submitting a question, I would like to offer this comment. Uh, she says, the ripples of one rock is felt worldwide. My daughter, who lives in Israel, knew of this incident before many in this community, before I told her. She told me. Our community is ever connected on a world level. Interesting. What happens here matters. Yeah, I mean, these things leak out and word gets around and and uh, there have been statements. And I think the, the I've heard, I've actually heard from colleagues as well from very far away from Israel, from around the country, who have been calling and emailing to express uh, support. Yes. I was going to say, one of the great things about having learned people like yourselves on this program is, is I get to learn things. And I was wondering this morning... Are there are there writings uh, in in the Jewish religion that describe in some way how to deal with incidents like this? Is there a religious text you can go back to and draw on to try to draw not just strength but but actually instruction on how to deal with something like this? I mean, 
there, there are certainly, uh, you know, tr- religious, traditional religious texts. Uh, you know, uh, in the Talmud, there's uh, material in, in uh, the medieval uh, responses because there were so many uh, outrageous incidents that took place. And I, I think that um, all of those texts basically directed uh, people who wanted to see these kinds of things stop, uh, directed them to reflect on their own actions in the world and the ways in which their own actions can either work to heal the kind of divisions that exist or can can serve to exacerbate those divisions. Um, I'll add not that these aren't Jewish texts, but there has been a lot of work being done around the world on combating anti-Semitism recently. We have here at Indiana University, uh, Professor Alvin Rosenfeld recently established an institute for the study of contemporary anti-Semitism that is looking into uh, variants of anti-Semitism around the world today. Uh, there's a uh, report that was uh, g- issued by the United, De- United States Department of State uh, on contemporary global anti-Semitism. There's a European forum on anti-Semitism that's been studying the problem. Uh, there's a U.S. Commission on Civil Rights that's been looking at campus anti-Semitism in particular. And all of these organizations have issued uh, reports on how to deal with it, how to identify it, and some of the specific modes that anti-Semitism takes. The attacks we've witnessed in Bloomington don't actually conform very well to the types of anti-Semitism that we've seen increasing uh, around today. You know, these generally relate to the perception that uh, Jews have more power uh, than anybody else. The Jews are somehow secretly controlling the world, meeting in secret, controlling the world. This comes out of the protocols of the elders of Zion, but also relates, which is a early 20th century forgery, um, but also relates to accusations that the Jews killed uh, Jesus, you know, these medieval accusations. The Roman Empire was the biggest empire the world had ever seen, and the perception that somehow behind it, uh, Jews were actually controlling what they were doing is a motif that permeates a lot of anti-Semitic talk and we see some of that uh, in public discourse today. When Steve was talking about public discourse, uh, I think of uh, Glenn Beck, for instance, who's recently been talking about George Soros and the control that he has. So there's a lot of instances that we get in public discourse today where Jews are accorded uh, undue influence in the world. The past isn't past. It isn't even over. Yeah. Yeah, so that's just one of the manifestations of contemporary anti-Semitism that we see around. Before we run out of time, um, are any of you prepared to um, outline the events that are coming up uh, in the near future to uh, bring the community together? Does anybody here have that information that we can share, or should we ask? Well, I know that at Chabad House, they're going to be doing a uh, menorah lighting ceremony Sunday at 6 o'clock, and they've invited members of their community to come and to show their support. That's okay. Sunday at 6 o'clock at Chabad House, which is... Uh, on 7th? On 7th, yeah. Mm-hmm. 7th and done, I guess. Right. Okay. I want to get to another phone call. Sarah is on the line. Sarah, thanks for calling in. What would you like to ask our panelists? Well, I wanted to thank you, panel, for answering the questions I was going to call and ask you beforehand. Uh, for instance, you know, what can we do uh, who are not Jewish? But um, you've, you've given me lots of useful useful response ideas, and I will certainly go to org and download a menorah. But um, I just thank you for this program. No, thank you for your call, Sarah. We certainly appreciate that. And uh, if you want to get your phone calls in during our last couple of minutes here, 812-855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can still join our live chat, too, at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Uh, a couple of these incidents, of course, have taken place on campus, and we've talked with the university in, in recent months. Uh, you might remember the theft of the Showalter Fountain fish, and it's really hard to get answers uh, ju- justifiably about where where, for instance, there are security cameras on campus um, and, and the university has a, a valid concern in saying we don't tell people where the security cameras are because then it's easier to evade them. But, you know, there were not security cameras, for instance, in the library where these, these books were taken from the shelves and, and, and subsequently, you know, defiled in, in a bathroom. Uh, does this speak to the need for more types of surveillance like that to try to give people the idea that you're not going to be able to get away with this because in some way someone is, is watching? Well, as, as someone who was um, responsible for s- the safety and security of children for most of my career, um, in Jewish day schools, uh, understandably, par- parents were always very, very concerned. And we, we did have very high levels of security, um, both prior to and subsequent to 9-11. Um, 
you know, I, I don't, I can't speak to the larger, uh, you know, the other institutions in Bloomington. I, I know that, uh, you know, as a, when I was responsible for Jewish day schools, we all had security cameras that really covered 360 degrees of the perimeter. We had, uh, we had a, a way of recording everything that occurred, um, so that we had uh, multiple cameras and we had uh, digital recordings of everything that took place so that we could turn that recording over to the police. Um, we did have alarms on every window, on every floor of the building, you know, all, all of those kinds of things. And we did have a very high level of security. And and uh, generally, for instance, Atlanta, where I lived, we had a security consultant who was uh, with the Jewish Federation of Greater Atlanta, who was retired Secret Service. Uh, other communities consult with uh, oftentimes the Israeli consulate uh, and experts in security who come from Israel uh, who have a great deal of background in that. I don't know the extent to which that exists in Bloomington. Stan, I'd, I'd certainly say that we want to keep people safe and secure, but uh, we'd be treating the symptoms without affecting the cause there if that's all we did. So I think that if we're going to inc- increase security measures, we better make sure we double down, too, on educational efforts and opportunity for cross-cultural exposure. We did have one quick question from a caller earlier who wanted to know um, why to why to wear blue on Monday as, as a, uh, a sign. Um, blue is uh, recognized as a Jewish color, I guess. It's one, of the, uh, color, it's one of the colors of the flag of Israel, and it's a color uh, that's used a lot in, in relationship to, to Judaism. I mean, maybe Steve has a better answer. Well, I, uh, blue also, I mean, the specific origins of, of the use of blue in, in the Jewish community come from the uh, the tilt chelet, uh, with the, the fringes of the garments, the commandment to mm. use a, really an indigo or a blue thread uh, on the corner of the clothing. So that's that's where the, the use or the association of blue with uh, Jewish ritual stuff comes in. Cool. want to get to one more caller. Uh, Jordan, we want to get you on the line real quick here. Uh, you've got about 15 seconds to ask a question, and hopefully we can get an answer for you. I can't do it in 15 seconds, but basically I think the schools could definitely do a much better job. My kids learn more about hatred and prejudice in the public schools here than they have elsewhere, and there was no response to it. So I think that the schools need to be more inclusive and create community, particularly at the middle school and high school level, so that even people who are on the fringe can somehow be included and maybe have a chance to grow up differently. All right, Jordan, thank you for your call. We certainly appreciate that. And uh, that is going to bring us to the end of this program. But uh, my thanks uh, to all of you for being here. Uh, It's not an easy subject to deal with, but uh, I think you three have all done remarkably well and given us very good answers on, on and, and answers that, that showed, you know, candor and thought. And so that is absolutely all we can ever ask, uh, especially with something so difficult. So our thanks certainly to the three of you. Uh, for Mary Catherine Carmichael, Mike Pashkash, Dan Goldblatt, Sarah Whitmire, and a cast of others, I'm Stan Jastrzewski saying thanks for tuning in to Noon Edition here on W. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.